morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311Cast, episode 23. And as you all know, last episode we were feeling 22, but unfortunately now that we're 23, according to Blink-182, nobody likes us because nobody likes you when you're 23. On this episode of the 8311Cast, we are talking about basketball, a lot of basketball, because uh, brackets were released for both men and women's NCAA tournaments, which is why we're coming to you one day late, so we could uh, give you the updated stats on specifically women's basketball. Um, we're also talking about some NFL free agency and uh, a few updates on some AAF stuff, so somebody want to get us mic into uh, women's basketball? Heck yeah, I will. So since last yeah. since uh, last time we all reached you beautifully is we left the uh, Cyclone women's basketball team one night before they played Baylor for the Big 12 championship. So I figured I'd give y'all an update on how that game went and give you my thoughts on that. So if you haven't seen yet over the course of the past week, the Cyclones did indeed lose that championship game to the Baylor Bears. I really think that the Cyclones played a great game there, despite the loss. Baylor has only lost once this year and didn't lose in conference, and the Cyclones hung with them. It was a game that was tied late in the third quarter maybe even early in the fourth quarter that game was a long time ago now so my memory isn't the best but that game was tied late with less than 11 minutes to go that game was tied and that just speaks to how well this team played and that was despite the Cyclones only hitting two three-pointers in the in the uh first three quarters of that game this is a Cyclone basketball team that has lived and died by the three-point basket for pretty much the entire season. And for them to be able to come out and play Baylor to a draw for three quarters with only hitting two threes shows phenomenal about their defensive intensity during that game and their um, their, their defensive intensity, their play inside in the post from Kirsten Scott, um, Mayor Burkall, because Kirsten Scott was in foul trouble, and then Bridget Carlton being able to work inside. Alexa Middleton also had a great game. Just shows how how hard they worked and how hard they pushed to be able to uh, push Baylor like they did, despite the lack of three-point shooting. In the fourth quarter, though, the Cyclones looked a little tired in the fourth quarter, which is understandable because they were playing their uh, third really close, intense game over the course of three days. And the lack of three-point shooting just ended up catching up with the Cyclone women in the end. They couldn't, um, yeah, they just couldn't stick with Baylor for that fourth quarter. They did make one three-pointer, but it was in garbage time after the result was already decided. So, but hanging with Baylor despite the bad shooting is really, was really just a good effort. I was really proud of the way they played and the way they pushed Baylor despite taking that loss. And that led up to... Monday, today, this next Monday, a week after that game, where the women's tournament bracket was released. But before I get to where the Cyclones were in that bracket and what it means for what their games are going to look like, I'm going to be pissed off about something here first. So, apparently, I didn't realize this until after it happened, but apparently on um, ESPN's, like, pre-selection show, women's bracketology show that happened at, like, was supposed to happen at, like, 3.30 Central Time or something on Monday, they accidentally released the entire bracket. So, that was definitely a problem, because, you know, the selection show wasn't supposed to happen until 6 o'clock Central, and the women just released, and they, uh, ESPN just released the entire bracket, and that, frankly, that's a disgrace, for the network that is doing the reveal to release the bracket two and a half hours, three hours, whatever it was before it was supposed to be released is just utterly disgraceful. I mean, it's one thing if it comes out on Twitter because it got leaked, something out through there. I mean, that happens. It shouldn't, but it happens. I would understand more if that was the case. But this was on network television. They released their own bracket that they were supposed to reveal two and a half hours later. How do you do that? That's just completely unacceptable and I'm pissed off about it and because of that with little to no warning they just moved the selection show up from what was it supposed to be six o'clock central is that what it was supposed to be and they moved it up to and they moved it up to four o'clock central I was literally just sitting sitting around watching a movie 
and then I look on Facebook and I see from Iowa State women's basketball that that they were changing their selection show watch party thing because the selection show got moved. And I was like, what? The selection show got moved? What on earth was going and thing And then I tuned in to see where the Cyclones went. But the fact that it got leaked and they moved it with such little warning, that was just completely unacceptable to me. I was, I was, I was really upset about that. But enough about me being upset with ESPN for that. I have lots of other things to be upset about ESPN, upset about ESPN about, but that's not the point of this podcast. The point of this podcast is to tell you about sports. So I will now tell you what happened during that weird time selection show. The Cyclone Women's Basketball Team must have also impressed the selection committee during that loss at Baylor and the win against Texas that was the day before because they were given a three seed in the NCAA tournament, the three seed in the Chicago Regional. Most bracketologists that I look at had Iowa State being a four, so it uh, it was a really good accomplishment to see them on the three line instead of the four. Um, this will mean first and second round games will be played in Ames, Iowa. We know they will be played... Saturday and Monday of this upcoming week, Saturday and Monday, will be the uh, Cyclones' first and second round game, assuming they win. Saturday at 4.30 p.m. against the New Mexico State Aggies will be the uh, Cyclone women's first game at Hilton Coliseum. If they win that, their next game will be Monday at some point, time TBD, against the winner of the game for DePaul and Murray State. So historically, um, in the uh, women's tournament, there is a lot more disparity of talent in women's basketball from top to bottom than there is in men's basketball. So there tend to be a lot less upsets. And three seeds in the uh, men or in the women's tournament, generally 75 plus percent of the time, they make the Sweet 16. So it's very light. It's not a guarantee by any means. They still got to win games, and DePaul, if they beat Missouri State, is going to be a tough game. But it is looking pretty likely, especially now that they got the three seed instead of the four. Historically, there's a really good chance that this uh, Cyclone basketball team will end up making the Sweet 16. And since they are in the Chicago Regional, that would put them with their uh, Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games if they would happen to get there in Chicago, Illinois, um, approximately a week and a half from now. So not this upcoming weekend, but the one after. And we'll fill you in on who those opponents could be next week if and when the Cyclone women pick up two wins this next weekend. We will fill you in on um, what their opponents could look like in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. And that three seed is a huge... uh thing for the Cyclones as they are able to play all of their games in Hilton Coliseum in Ames, Iowa. So that's obviously a big advantage and not just that they got the three seed because any one through the four host those games on their campuses, but I believe that Iowa State has positioned themselves to in a very good place to make that Sweet 16 even if DePaul is a very good team, which they are, it they have the home court advantage for that game. Yeah, and that home court advantage is one of the main reasons why um, there are less upsets in the first and second round, excuse me, of the women's bracket. And uh, just for reference purposes, according to um, 538 Sports, um, the Cyclone women have a, let me find them here on my handy little table. Here we go. Have a 98% chance to beat New Mexico State in the first round and then have a, um, 63% chance to advance to the Sweet 16. So that is a pretty good chance given our actual matchups to advance to the Sweet 16. So, and then it also gives us a 25% chance to advance to the Elite Eight. So, this could definitely be a good run for the Cyclone women's basketball team. And I know that I am definitely excited to watch and see where they could end up. So, it look, looks like there's a pretty good chance for them to to make it to this 
championship or to a Sweet 16, maybe even an Elite Eight. So that will really be a fun time, and I am looking forward to seeing how they do. But, but does was also excuse me with all this excitement about the women's team that I have, the men's team also had a fantastic week out at in Kansas City at Hilton South at the Big 12 tournament. Kyle, would you like to fill us in on everything that happened down at the Sprint Center for the Big 12 tournament? What an incredible week for the Cyclone men's basketball team. So all of the people out there who were calling for Coach Prome to be fired. Who was calling for Coach Prome to be fired? There, there were a lot of there unhappy like, fans. There was only two people on Twitter that were calling for that. Anybody who was okay. calling for Coach I mean, Prome to be fired was <laughs> But for any, of those, for any of those people who were calling for that, you can suck it. Because Coach Prome coached that team and prepared that team to win in Kansas City, and they did. They came back to Ames, Iowa as Big 12 tournament champions for the fourth time in the last six years and fifth time overall. And as Iowa State came into the tournament, they were the five seed in the tournament. And since they won the Big 12 crown, they are the lowest seed to ever do that in Big 12 tournament history. The lowest seed previous to, or previously, who was able to uh, win, that was a four seed who won it all, and that was Iowa State who did it twice. So Iowa State has some success in that four and five seed line in that tournament. But overall, the team played outstanding. The defense was much improved from the past three weeks and what we had seen out of this basketball team the entire way uh, through as they were kind of struggling their way uh, through the end of the season, they started to rebound more. The rebounding margins were a lot closer. They out-rebounded Baylor, a historically great rebounding team. They out-hustled and they out-rebounded Baylor on a way on their way to an absolute stomping of Baylor in a 17-point route in which that game wasn't even close, essentially through the eight or through the eight under eight timeout in the first half, the game was close, but after that, the game was completely out of reach for Baylor. And it was never in question. So in the second in the second game of the tournament for the Cyclones, they were faced against the Big 12 regular season uh, champions in K-State, who was missing Dean Wade for this game. And this game was a lot closer all the way throughout the entire game. The Cyclones took a 10-point lead going into halftime, which could have been a 13-point lead if some shots had rattled in, but they played really well in the first half and clawed their way through. But K-State made a big run through the second half uh, and was able to regain the lead at one point, but big shot after big shot by Marielle Shayok at the end of the game who had a clutch three-pointer uh, to get them within one, I believe, and then a fadeaway three-pointer in the corner as the shot clock expired to give them the lead, and K-State wasn't able to regain the lead after that. So they took down K-State, who was ranked in the top 25, and then they go and take on the other Kansas school, Blue Kansas, and that game wasn't really close either. Through the entire first half, it was pretty close. KU shot a dismal 0 for 9 in the first half from 3. 0 for 9. That was the first time I had ever seen a college basketball team in Division 1 go 0 for 9 from the field from 3. It took them like 20 in the first half. It took them like 27 minutes of that game to hit their first three-pointer. They didn't hit it until there was about 13 minutes left in the second half even. And the guy to hit it was a 5'8 guy called named Charlie Moore. And it was a very wide open three because of a defensive shift and defensive rotations. But that was their first one that they hit, and they only managed to hit three in the entire game. They went three of 18 and shot 17% from the three. And under they were well under 35% from the field overall in that game. 
The Cyclones didn't shoot well either. Mary Alshayak had his struggles from three, but in the end, Mary Alshayak, Lindell Wigington, Michael Jacobson played phenomenally, especially Tyrese Halliburton as well. He stepped up and made big shots when he needed to and when he was called upon. So the Cyclones are Big 12 champions, uh, Big 12 tournament champions, sorry, and they got their ticket punched on Saturday night into the NCAA tournament. So it was just a it was just a waiting game after that win. Um Mary Alshayok, just to uh go over one thing, he was named to named the most outstanding player of the Big 12 tournament as uh he just played phenomenally the entire tournament as a, as a transfer and as a senior. Uh it would be this team would be in a much different place without him if he hadn't have transferred from Virginia to Iowa State. Oh, absolutely. Um, he So, during the uh, tournament game against, uh, I think it was the second one, against K-State, he, he eclipsed his uh, scoring mark for the entire season, at for his entire three years at Virginia. So, he has scored more points this year than he scored in three years at Virginia. So, that's been incredible for Shayok. He's been an incredible help to this team. Sorry, I interrupted he, you, Kyle. I just needed to get that oh, you're fact good. in there. Undoubtedly, he has been the leader of this team, uh, especially in the Big 12 tournament. He was the one always gathering the team together and making sure that they were uh, keeping their heads on straight as they were going through and making this run through the tournament. But since the Cyclones punched their ticket to the NCAA tournament, you all probably want to know where they're going and what seed they got. Can, can I add one more and thing about the Big 12 tournament first just to keep them, on, keep them in suspense? Go for it. Okay, I just want to talk about the X factor that uh, that Michael Jacobson was over the course of the Big Twelve tournament. I think that after um, the rough patches that the uh, team has been going through, that uh, Michael Jacobson uh, decided to step up and be the leader of this team. I think he has done a really good job leading the uh, leading the Cyclones both on and off the court. I think he had his best game against K-State in the tournament. Did he, I think he pulled down, it was 16 or 18 rebounds. Some in, 16. Yeah, 16, an insane number of rebounds, especially for him where he only averages six rebounds a game. I think he's become the leader of this team and really the leader that the team needed because I feel like during all their struggles, this team was a lot of individual players trying to succeed on their own, doing their own thing. And I think Michael Jacobson, has pulled them together and has been like, look, talent carried us through the first part of this season, but it's not going to carry us the rest of the way. And he finally got him to realize that they need to play like a team and he got him to do that. So I think Jacobson was a huge X factor over the course of this tournament. I completely agree with that. And this team has completely turned it around this entire tournament. They looked like they were having fun again and they looked like the team that they were at the beginning of the season when they were playing incredibly well and at the start of Big 12 play too. So it's exciting. So your Cyclones will be going to Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, and they will be the sixth seed in the Midwest region. So their first round matchup will be against the 11 seed Ohio State Buckeyes and that game will be on Friday night at about 8.50 p.m. on TBS. And that game time is obviously dependent on uh, whenever the game right before it gets done. Yeah, my guess is and warm-up times is all. From previous experience of other NCAA tournaments, my guess is that game will probably start closer to 9.10 than 8.50. So it might be a little bit of a late night for uh, for Cyclone fans. But I would guess that 8.50 is the earliest it could start. My guess is it's going to be a little closer to 9.50 or 9.10 when it actually starts. So, And correct me if I'm wrong, but Ohio State comes in with a 19-11 and 11 record. Um, let me double check that, but I believe that is correct. And I think the Cyclones are sitting at 23-11. The Cyclones are sitting at 23-11, yes. That is confirmed. 
Ohio State is sitting at 19 and 14 is their record. Oh, 19 and 14. 19 and 14. So looking at the overall rankings for Ohio State, so there's metrics that the committee is supposed to use, which is the net rankings. They switched from the RPI to the net. And so in the net this year, Ohio State was 55. And in Ken Palm, which is our podcast host, Mike Ludwig's favorite website yeah. and metric system, yeah. Ohio State they're, is 45. They're going down on my list, though. That's a topic for yeah. another time, though. Ken Palm is going down on my list of favorite websites, but we'll talk about that oh, okay. at a later time. Okay. Well, I've used the Ken Palm in here a couple of times. I mean, that's fair. It's, so. it's probably the best thing that you got but I'm starting to like it less. Anyway. That's fair. Continue to talk about basketball now that I'm done interrupting you about advanced metrics and done being a nerd. So in comparison, in the net rankings, Iowa State comes in at 21 and Ohio State comes in at 55. So based on the metrics, this is a very winnable game for the Cyclones. And just looking at the eye test, Ohio State isn't a great rebounding team, so Iowa State should be able to hopefully get to the boards, get some rebounds, and play continue to play like they were in the Big 12 tournament. A lot of Iowa State fans are a little anxious about this game because a few years ago, Iowa State met Ohio State in the NCAA tournament and got absolutely obliterated by a guy named Aaron Kraft. So a lot of fans out there are uneasy and they want this to be a revenge game from a couple of years ago. So we will see how the Cyclones fare on Saturday night. Yeah. But looking ahead. Well, just to to put in, so the two big websites that uh, do simulations on the NCAA tournament, Ken Palm and 538, Ken Palm gives Iowa State a 65.6% chance to beat Ohio State, and uh, 538 gives them a 67% chance to beat Ohio State. So about a two-thirds, two-thirds chance is what those two big simulations. And I believe I was looking that ESPN BPI gives Iowa State approximately a 75% chance to beat Ohio State. So it's a game that the Cyclones should win, but should not take for granted. That's my yes. opinion. The Cyclones, the Cyclones have to definitely be aware and that they don't go into this thinking that this is an easy win. Otherwise, it'll very quickly become a trap game for them. But if they do indeed escape the first round, they will meet either Houston or Georgia State. Not Southern. So Houston... What, Georgia what State, that, not Mike? Southern. Use their full name. Georgia State? Not Southern. Yeah. Their full name is Georgia State, not Southern. Okay. That's not actually their full name, but that's what we're going to call them for the remainder of this episode. That joke just fell so flat. You're right, it did, because Kyle just didn't get it. <laughs> now you know how I feel most of the time. Yeah. Thanks for your input, Mike. Hey, I thought it was All funny, right. and Wyatt seemed to think it was funny, so you just need to get with the times. <laughs> okay. Georgia State. Can I keep derailing we'll your segment some more? And Houston comes out of the... Let him talk. Let the man talk. Houston comes out of the American Conference, and they are a 30-game regular season winner. And this team is no joke. They are an offensive power when they are able to shoot the ball. And they absolutely obliterated Memphis in one of their games in the American Conference tournament. That game was close through the first... 10 minutes of the game, but then Memphis couldn't score and Houston ended up scoring 85 or 88 points. So this is an offensive team and a very, very potent team at that. And they are fourth currently in the net rankings and they are 15th in the Ken Palm rankings. So this will be a very high scoring affair between Iowa State and Houston if they do make it, if both teams win their first-round matchup. Otherwise, if Georgia Georgia State 
sorry, if Georgia State makes it <laughs> to the second round, then that would be a much easier game for the Cyclones as they are 121st in the net and 111th in the Ken Palm rankings. So you're saying we're rooting for somebody at, uh, we're rooting for Georgia State, not Southern, to upset Houston in the first round. That's what you're telling me? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's fair. Are we also rooting for Ohio State to upset Iowa State? Did I hear that too, or did I miss that one? No, we are not. Okay, that's what I thought. Just confirming. We are, we are rooting. We are rooting for our Cyclones. Okay, sounds good. Um. So just as a look through the entire bracket, the overall one seeds in the tournament in the Midwest bracket are North Carolina. Gonzaga is in is the number one in the West. The number one in the South is Virginia, and the number one and the overall number one seed is Duke in the East region. Out of those four teams, Mike, which team or which number one seed do you think has the toughest route to the Final Four? Duke in Minneapolis. Duke. Duke. I think you do. Duke has the highest chance because their two seed in that region is Michigan State. And I think Michigan State is the best two seed in the tournament. Therefore, I think that Duke has the toughest road. To the, I think they're also the best team. So that I don't think Duke has the worst chance to make it to the Final Four. But I think they have the toughest road to get there. If that made sense. Did that make sense? That made sense. In my opinion, I think the toughest road to the Final Four would be their Tobacco Road counterpart, North Carolina. And here's my reasoning. So North Carolina is in the Midwest bracket, and the Midwest bracket, in my opinion, is stacked. With Kentucky, Seton Hall being a very potent team, Houston, who is not a joke winning 30 games in a season, Iowa State could make a deep run, Kansas, if they make it to the Sweet 16, That game is in Kansas City in Sprint Center, which is only 28 miles away from Lawrence, Kansas. And obviously, there are a lot of KU fans in Kansas City. Auburn is hot coming off of their SEC tournament win. And Washington could look for an upset bid, even though the Pac-12 is garbage. I mean, they did put me on record for that. Which is more than we thought for most of the year. With Arizona State, one of those getting one of one of those teams might not have made it. Would Oregon have made it if they didn't win the Pac-12 tournament championship? Unlikely, but possible. Okay, so they might have only had two teams. Correct. That's my guess: is they would have only had two. So yeah, my opinion is that North Carolina has the hardest road. Kentucky is can always play very well during NCAA tournament time, and a lot of it just it goes through Kansas City. If Iowa State were to make it to the Elite Eight against North Carolina, Cyclone fans are going to travel all to Hilton South. Yeah. That could be a very good, tough game for North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. North Carolina's biggest disadvantage is that two of their – teams two of their top six seeds would be playing virtual home games in sweet 16 or elite eight games against north carolina with the games in kansas city if they were to go against kansas or iowa state those would be very hostile clouds towards north carolina for sure so one other thing i want to ask you about is you talked a little bit about how upsets are pretty unlikely in the in, in the women's tournament which upset are you eyeing the most in the men's bracket um i am looking for my biggest upsets in the south legion specifically with those 11 12 and 13 seeds in the south region with that being 11 seed st mary not saying all three of these are going to happen but these are the games i'm looking at the most with number 11, St. Mary's versus number 6, Villanova, number 12, Oregon, number 5, Wisconsin, and number 13, UC Irvine, with number 4, K-State. Specifically needing to see whether Dean Wade is going to play or not for K-State. That's going to be a big determining factor on to whether UC Irvine is going to be able 
to be an upset-minded team they are not. So I'm looking towards the South Legion. What about you, Kyle? Where are you looking for some upsets? That That's my upset region, too. I I like that UC Irving, Irvine, sorry, UC Irvine over Kansas State upset a lot. I also like the St. Mary's over Villanova upset, too. But the other one that I'm eyeing that maybe not a lot of people are talking about is the 12-5 matchup in the East region with Liberty knocking off Memphis or or Mississippi State start, sorry. Interesting. I think I think Liberty I think Liberty could pull off an upset there. Okay. All right. As well as Belmont being one of the first four uh play or play in teams mm-hmm. uh going in and then knocking off Maryland. Okay. As the eleven seat or eleven seat over the six seed. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Now I want this last op- opinion from both of you. Final four picks. Let's go on the record with final four picks. Wyatt, lead us off. What are your final four picks? So I got Duke coming out of the east, Texas Tech from the west, which uh, oh. I think might be interesting. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, and- Fun fact, then, no team who lost their first game in their conference tournament has ever made the Final Four. I think they can get their stuff together, hopefully. That is a very fun fact. I, yeah. I like that fun fact, Mike. Also, I have somehow Auburn making a deep run to the Final Four from the Midwest, and then Virginia from the South. Okay. Kyle? I also have Duke coming out of the east um i also have texas tech coming out of the west i think they can i think gonzaga is going to be an earlier out than people are predicting um i'm gonna go with a wild card houston is my final four pick in the midwest and in the south region i have tennessee Interesting. Okay. My final four picks. In the East, I have Michigan State. In the West, I have Gonzaga. In the South, I have Virginia. And in the Midwest, I have Kentucky. Those are my So final all four one picks. or two seeds that for Mike. Correct. That is correct. Ju- that is just in the first iteration of my bracket. My bracket usually goes through at least three iterations before it gets finalized, and I did iteration one today. So that's what I came up with on iteration one. We'll see we'll see what we do here in iteration two and three on Tuesday and Wednesday before it locks in Thursday morning. But iteration one at least, that's what I got. Alright. Interesting fact. Cool. Yeah. So despite all this much madness that is happening, we should also talk about some NFL football. So NFL free agency, like we touched on last week, NFL free agency started in full force this week, and we had just a lot of moves that happened. Kyle, do you just want to run down um, some of this list of fairly major moves here that happened in the last week, and then we'll sum up some of the big ones after you've ran through them? All right, everybody buckle up. We're going to go through this pretty quickly. My my desk chair doesn't have a seatbelt. Okay, well, quick run and grab something to harness yourself in. Okay, bye. So, to start off, in the surprise of free agency, not even a free agent, Odell Beckham is shipped from New York to Cleveland. We'll get into that a little bit later. Landon Collins moves from New York to Washington, signs a deal there. Nick Foles signs with Jacksonville for their franchise quarterback. Le'Veon Bell decides to sign with the New York Jets. Ryan Tannehill moves to Tennessee, in all likelihood being the backup to Marcus Mariota. Well, Anthony you know, Barr had a Marcus very Mariota inevitably gets hurt. Yes, that is true. Anthony Barr had a very interesting free agency. Originally had to deal with the Jets, and then goes 180 degrees back to Minnesota. D. Ford is traded from the Chiefs to San Francisco as San Francisco gets another pass rusher. Tyron Matthew from the Texans gets signed in Kansas City. And subsequently, 
Eric Berry is then released by the Chiefs. Eric Weddle signs with the Los Angeles Rams. Blake Bortles is going to reportedly sign with the LA Rams to back up Jared Goff, aka he will never play. CJ Mosley, uh, the great inside linebacker from the Ravens, signs with the New York Jets. Teddy Bridgewater uh, is back in New Orleans on a one-year deal. Tyrod Taylor is to back up Phillip Rivers for the LA Chargers next season. And longtime Raven Ray Lewis signs a one-year deal in Arizona. You want to try that reportedly... again? Huh? Ray Lewis did not unretire. Oh, sorry. Oh, what's his name? Terrell Suggs? What's his name? Terrell Suggs, sorry. Longtime Ray Lewis is linebacker. already in the Hall of Fame. He can't come back and play. That is true. Terrell Suggs signs with Arizona on a one-year deal for a change of scenery after he was supposedly given a lot of money or proposed a lot of money by the Ravens. Yeah. And one more to note, sorry, uh, I'm blanking on the Seahawks cornerback's name. Griffin? No, the former cornerback. Yeah, Earl Thomas signs in Baltimore. He's a safety. Safety. Sorry. Anyway, I think the most interesting one of those deals is obviously the big Odell Beckham Jr. trade going from New York to Cleveland. Nobody really saw that coming. There were no rumors of an Odell Beckham Jr. trade. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the week, it was announced that Odell Beckham Jr. had been traded to Cleveland. I think that was Tuesday afternoon when that news broke. I think that, uh, um, I think that makes Cleveland probably the best team in that division. I think it moves them up ahead of Baltimore and Pittsburgh to be the best team in that AFC North. And it makes them, I hate, I hate to say this, but it might make them legit Super Bowl contenders. Um, their offense now looks stacked. Baker Mayfield at quarterback. You've got Nick Chubb. And Kareem Hunt in the backfield. Also, it was announced this week as a note that Kareem Hunt will be suspended for the first eight games of this upcoming season. So he will miss the first half of the year, but still a potent threat in the backfield when he comes back. And they've also got um, Jarvis Landry and now Odell Beckham Jr. as their wide receivers. That's a pretty stacked offense they got there in Cleveland. So that was a big trade for Cleveland. And uh, I'm looking looking for them to do some big things here this season now. As long as their offensive line can hold up, well, it'll be they're, they're going to see. have a great offense. It'll be interesting to see how their defense has been. Their defense has been pretty good in recent years, so it'll have to. We'll have to see if it'll uh, it'll stay good. In after they all, they still time. have they still have Garrett off the edge, and that cornerback who played really well, who was a rookie last year. I'm forgetting his name. Brian Body Calhoun. What? No, not. Not him, never mind. I think somebody else. He's in Atlanta. I don't remember, but yeah, it'll be interesting there. The other two big deals, at least the biggest ones to me, with Le'Veon Bell to the Jets. Um, he ended up taking less money than I think Pittsburgh offered him in a contract before last season. I think that was the case, and he sat out, missed an entire paycheck, and got fined a bunch last year just to sign a contract that people thought was pretty small. So Le'Veon Bell was a loser of free agency. He he lost last year. He's been taking an L ever since he decided to sit out last year, and he took another one. Le'Veon Bell has gone down on my order of respect and skill as far as NFL players are concerned. Just a bad bad deal for Le'Veon Bell. He gets uh he gets an L there. And the other thing was the weird thing that happened with Anthony Barr. He was all set to go to the Jets. And then the Vikings like called him and begged him to come back and worked some salary cap magic to somehow fix fit him under the salary cap and got him back. I'm still not sure exactly how that happened, but it was interesting to see. He's been a big part of the Vikings' defense, so it was good to have him back. But now the Vikings only have like $600,000 in cap space right now, so they'll need to do some stuff before the draft in order to even be able to sign the players they draft. So that'll be interesting. And so... We mentioned a few quarterbacks that came off the board. Ryan Tannehill, obviously, to the Titans. Teddy Bridgewater back to New Orleans. And Tyrod Taylor to the Chargers. 
the Dolphins are currently scrambling to try and find a quarterback for next season. It's being reported that they are trying to gear up to draft Tua Tagovailoa in the next draft, not this year, but next year's draft. So we'll see what they do, but they're going to be struggling to win some games this year. Interesting, interesting. Um, so while we're on the topic of football, I'm going to interject here and give you guys a quick update on the AAF. That's what I was going to uh, say. Oh, I gotcha. You beat, gotcha me to it. you beat me to it. You're eating my mind. You're right. So this was a week six, I believe, of the AAF. We still have four weeks to go until uh, postseason play. But the biggest thing that happened this past week is that the Orlando Apollos finally lost their first game. They're now sitting 5-1. and one, uh, told They lost the Arizona Hot Shots. Uh, 22 to 17. So still, uh, it was still a close game. This was their their first loss, uh, but it was a non-conference loss. There's still three and zero in conference play. Uh, the the hot shots are from the West Division. Uh, also, the Birmingham Iron uh, won versus the San Diego Fleet, aka the Buffalo Wild Wings team, 32 to 29. The San Antonio Commanders uh, won against the Legends that absolutely flopped. It was a 37 to six game, absolute blowout. Uh, nothing interesting there. The most interesting thing I think about the Commanders is that Joel Lanning actually plays. Um, uh, he does some stuff on defense and special teams for the Commanders. So go Joel, uh, former Iowa State quarterback and and everything, basically. Special teams guy, quarterback, linebacker. Ah, who knows? Uh, and then we also had the Salt Lake City Stallions. Uh, they had a win against the Express 22-9. I don't think I already said that one. So... Um, the Express lost their quarterback on the first play of the game, Zach Mettenberger, uh, due to an ankle injury. So they threw in their second string and then immediately announced after the game that they signed Johnny uh, Manziel. So that was kind of interesting for them. So right now the current standings for the East Division, we have the Orlando Apollos at 5-1, and one, the Birmingham Iron 4-2, and two, the Memphis Express 1-5, and five, which is the worst record in the Alliance, and then the Atlanta Legends 2-4. to four. In the West, we have the Hot Shots, 3-2, San Antonio Commanders, 4-2, the Fleet, 3-3, three and, three, and the Salt Lake City City Stallions, 2-4. So that's your AF update, and I think we now have the worst segment of our podcast series, or at least my least favorite, as long as it's to do with hockey. If it's not to do with hockey, the segment isn't that bad, uh, to be quite honest. I think it's time for you and I to go take a nap, right? Yeah, let's go, let's go lay down. We'll okay. talk to you later. You can do your thing. I got a text this week from a loyal listener that said this, and I quote, my favorite segment is the rules segment, my second favorite segment is the write that down segment, and my third favorite segment is all of you arguing over the rules segment. Boo! So Who was that, your that brother? Makes two, that makes two out of three segments being... Rule segment related. Therefore, I think this is our most successful segment. I would disagree. I I think we should nix this segment. Was that your brother? I am not going to name that person because his identity. <laughs> okay, so it was your brother. Is real, and that is not a real and unbiased opinion. Hey, everybody likes rules. Rules are my favorite. That's why I bring them to you every week. Anyway, so what do you got this week? Rules, baseball. So, preface: baseball made a lot of rule changes. We're going to do a big baseball preview episode where we're going to preview the season and talk about all the rule changes that baseball announced next week. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a preview, not about a rule change, but how a rule currently is right now. We're going to talk about the September call-up period. So from the start of the year through August 31st, you are currently limited to 25 people on your active roster that can play in games at a given time. From the doing um, from September 1st onward, it's called the September call-up period, you can have up to 40 players on your active roster. So this is when you call up a lot of your minor league players who, because um, the minor league f- seasons finish around the start of September. So this is where you can call up your minor league players so they can get a little bit of action at the major league level as well as um, supplement maybe your bullpen or have a couple of extra pinch hitting um, pinch hitters available off the bench. So, um, yes, during the September call-up period, essentially rosters expand from 25 people all the way up to 40 people, gives managers a lot of extra flexibility with pitchers and position players. 
The reason I'm giving you this now is because this rule is going to be changing for the 2020 baseball season. So just a preface of what it is going to be like for this season and next season it'll be different and we'll fill you in on exactly what those changes will be when next week's episode rolls around. Huh, September call-ups make sense to you guys? Yeah, I actually didn't know what the exact numbers were, so that's yep. interesting. It's 25 and 40, but I mean, you'll have to learn new numbers starting for the 2020 season. Cause oh those man, I just learned these ones though. Well, on. I'll fill you in next week. Next week is going to be my favorite episode ever because I get to talk about rules in more segments than the stupid rules segment. So See, that's fine. When they're outside the stupid rules segment, that's fine. But we're, when we're inside of Mike's stupid rules with two O's stupid rules, then it, it's not as cool. Since but, next week is going to be all about rules. Not all why, about rules. Do you, do you and I want to just take, we'll just, a, take we're a gonna break? We're going to sit out and I'll do the intro. Mike will talk the entire time. And then Kyle and I will sign off. I think is what's going to happen. Okay. Just give you a preview of the next, next week's episode. However... For this week, still we have one more second left. Segment left. Just uh, one second. <laughs> one Quick. second left. Okay. Ah! We have the the write that down prediction. So, Mike, do you want to lead us through the account- accountability session real quick? Yeah, we have quite a large accountability session this week. It's like eight or ten things because we had a lot of Big Twelve tournament slash NCAA tournament predictions over the course of the season that uh, all have come off the board with now the Big Twelve tournament and selection shows being announced. So we will give you all of those. We'll start with a prediction from me from way earlier this year that Minnesota basketball would have more wins and a higher seed than Iowa State. They uh, succeeded in doing neither of those things. So for that, I will get a nah. Um, Wyatt had a prediction that there would be more than 100 bad calls by officials at ISU men's basketball home games this year. I protested this call at the time because Wyatt was the one who was adjudicating his own write-that-down prediction, but I got overruled and it was allowed to stand, and apparently Somehow. by somebody's adjudication, I've been told that he was right, so for that, I'll give him a ding, 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 <laughs> you're welcome, thanks, Wyatt made a prediction that the women's basketball team would win the Big 12 tournament, as we found out earlier, they lost to Baylor, so for that, Wyatt gets a Nah, nah. He made his prediction about the wrong team. Had he made it about the men, he would have been right. But Kyle had a prediction that said that K-State would win the Big 12 regular season title, but not the tournament championship. Um, They did share the regular season title with Texas Tech, as we talked about last week. And as we talked about this week, Iowa State knocked them off in the semifinals of the Big 12 tournament. So that prediction is correct. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Um, I predicted that the Iowa State Cyclones would get a higher seed in the NCAA tournament than the Iowa Hawkeyes. This is for the men. Iowa State got a 6 seed. Iowa got a 10 seed. 6 is higher than 10 when it comes to seeding. So for that, I am correct. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. ding. Um, last week... Oh, no, sorry. From a couple weeks... Yeah, from last week. All four of our predictions from last week have come off the board already. Kyle predicted that the Cyclones women team would beat Baylor in the Big 12 championship game and Bridget Carlton would be the most valuable player of the tournament. Neither of those things happened, so Kyle gets a... Nah. I predicted that the Cyclone women will be a three-seed or better in the NCAA tournament. They did squeak out a three-seed, so I get a... Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. Wyatt predicted that the Cyclone men's basketball team will make it to the Big 12 championship game. They made it and won. So Wyatt gets a ding, 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 ding. ding. Josh predicted that the Iowa State Cyclone men's team would be a five seed or higher in the NCAA tournament. They were a six. So that is a crap for Josh. And Josh also predicted that Iowa State would place better than KU in the Big 12 tournament since we beat KU in the tournament championship. That is a correct prediction. And ding, 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 ding. for Josh. All right. That's it. Long accountability session. I'll have to factor those into our batting averages and slugging percentages before I uh, give you our next update here. But that'll be a problem for later in the week. All right, Kyle. Let's you get our predictions. Us? Yeah, what? Kyle. Go. Yeah, Kyle, start us off. Week. So, in the NCAA tournament, there will be tw- three 12-5 upsets in the men's 
NCAA bracket. Three of them? So three, three 12 seeds Ooh. will be their, their respective five Triple a home run, Ryan. What do you think? I would say home run. I, I, I could see two maybe, but three is real. Three is a lot. I'll give them a home run for that. That's a home run prediction, Kyle. You're basically saying New Mexico State is going to be Auburn and Oregon's going to beat Wisconsin. Like, th- those are the two most likely 12 Murray fives. State over my cat isn't that unlikely either. No, it's not unlikely, but I, I think it's the, the most likely. The combination of three of them happening isn't very good. Yeah, three so of them did happen last year. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, that was last year. Though. I'm happy with that. Right, Mike, what do you fair. got for your write that down? That's fair. All right, Wyatt, what do you got? Oh, I got uh, Kansas will not make it past the first round of the NCAA tournament. So Kansas Mostly because be- I'm, I'm still upset that they're four seed and we're a six, but... Okay. They're not going to make it past the first round. They're going to lose. They're going to lose to a uh, uh, Northeastern. Double, triple. What do you think, Kyle? Mm, I defer to you. Ooh. Um. All right. Let's consult the percentages. The percentages say that KU has a. Where'd KU go? Where? Where did you go, KU? Oh, there they are. That has an eighty-three percent chance. Of winning that basketball game. I think that's triple material. Triple. Triple. Mike says triple as well. So we will give Wyatt a triple for that prediction. Awesome. All right. My turn for our final write the down prediction of the day. And that is that both the Cyclone men and women will make it to the Sweet 16. At least to the Sweet 16. So. Ooh. Both the Cyclone men and the women will make it to the Sweet 16. Yep. I'm giving you a triple for that. All right. Wyatt says a double. I'm going to overrule him. No. All right, I'll take a triple. triple. I'm not going to complain. I'll take a triple. Because the Cyclones will have to get past Houston, and that's assuming nothing egregious happens to the women's team. Mm-hmm. So... I, I think it's likely that they're both going to make it to the Sweet 16. So but, that's I mean, why I'm you, saying double. But If you just look at the straight percentages, right, there's a 33% chance times a 63% chance, which is about the same chance that Kansas loses. So it's on par percentage-wise with uh, with your triple. So That's fair. That makes sense. I mean, you're getting a triple either way. I was just saying what I thought. Okay. And since our other roommate, Josh, is home, for spring break, and he has not sent in a write-that-down prediction, he will not have anything go on record this week. I wonder, was this like our highest? So we have two triples and a home run. I feel like we've never had anything that high before for write-that-downs going on the board in one week. Yeah, I feel like, like we really that, swung for offenses this week. I like it. I do too. Makes it interesting. And uh, since all three of us got to write-that-downs in, and Josh isn't here so he doesn't have one, that's the conclusion of the Write That Down segment, which therefore is the conclusion of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Podcast episode 23, coming to you a day late because we had to bring you updates on the NCAA seating and uh, tournament brackets. So thanks again for listening, and thank you for allowing us to bring all things sports to your beautiful ears. Signing off for the 8311 cast for this week, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter, thanks for that inflection, Kyle. I, I don't Thank know what's going for listening. on. Mine was we'll a talk genuine to you next week. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.